hail and well met. Welcome to another edition of Self-Evident. My name is Jenna and with me today is Alyssa and Kenna Rose and Bryn. And today we are going to be talking about the Enneagram, a little bit of its history and its origins and how it's become a huge phenomenon in the Christian church. I kind of feel like we are jumping in pretty late on the conversation. I'm not sure how prevalent, uh, how long the Enneagram has been prevalent in Christian circles, but I definitely have noticed a lot more of it recently, especially with actually just good Christian friends of mine who they would tell me that they have learned so much about themselves through taking this personality quiz. And I know it's really popular too among Christian camps. And when I worked for a Christian camp, it was all of the counselors were obsessed with it. They wanted everybody to take it. My sister worked for a camp and they had her put her number on there and their like application. It was just it, it's it's a huge thing. Yes, and that actually brings up another point because I've I've heard that the Enneagram test is actually being used a lot in ministry circles in churches and like you said, like camps. So church leader or the church or the camp leader could determine what sort of team he wanted to have. They would base decisions of who will make it on the team just through this Enneagram test. So first off, Let's look at the etymology of the word Enneagram. So Enneagram comes from, I think it's the Greek. G- yeah. it's, it's, Greek. it's the Greek. And Ennea stands for, I believe it's nine. And gram is that which is drawn. So the Enneagram symbol is nine points, if I remember correctly. And it was actually brought to the West by, um, according to the narrative Enneagram, that it was introduced to the modern world in 1915 as a human development system by philosopher and teacher George, I'm going to butcher his last name, but Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff. Yes. So that's the same guy. So actually he, he claimed that he was a mystic and he claimed that he had gotten this information uh, on his trips to the Middle East. And also if we remember what the word mystic means, it is basically... Uh, somebody that believes that he has divine insight superior to just any other people. Like, they're not like other girls. Um, And they also believe that they have direct communication with God and thus they can eventually become God. So this is the the person that brought or made the Enneagram prominent in uh, the West. Very occultish teachings, right? You would say mystic is like another word for basically an occultist. Right, so... Actually, Gurdjieff did not apply the Enneagram to personalities. I did hear about this when I was doing my research. Yes. So he instead taught the Enneagram in secret, and he maintained it gave him and his followers an understanding of everything. So not just their personality, but of like nature and of how the world works. Um, so, And this was when it was just the symbol, right? Without the- That's correct. Most of my research was done from the Truth and Love podcast, which is from the Biblical Counseling Center in based in Grace Church in Los Angeles, California. Do you have the part where someone added different fixations to each point? So it was like the seven deadly sins plus some added ones? I didn't hear about that, actually. That was what the Cultish podcast was talking about. I don't remember the name of the guy who did it. So is it Claudio Naranjo? He was afterwards, and he was the guy who came up with the personality type. Okay, so then was the person you were thinking of Oscar Ikezo? 
it might he had ego fixations from familiar spirit contact and that opened the door to enneagrams and then claudio Nerano he furthered the work by Mm -hmm. revealing the enneagram types through automatic writing gotcha Mm -hmm. so that is the how the enneagram came to be into like the nine point personality test Mm -hmm. it is today well and the fixations too they were ego fixations those were based off of the seven deadly sins and then they added two yep Mm -hmm. so i don't know to me that sounds a lot like freud's theories actually because he was the one who came up with the idea of the ego the super ego and the id yeah so it was basically the way i see it is it was freud's way of trying to explain the clash between good and evil in this world without god he had this idea that every person has a superego, which is like the conscience that always tries you to get to do the right thing. It has the ego, which is like the mediator between the superego and the id, which tries to compromise. And then the id is like all of the bad stuff focuses solely on pleasure. And so he believed, too, that there were different stages you went through in childhood. And they were like... This is going to sound weird, but sexual fixation stages. And so if you got stuck in one stage, then your ego and your superego and your id, everything basically centered around that. Freud was kind of messed up. Yeah, he had child development in the stages of phallic stage and um, different sexual orientations with how children um, deal with sensual pleasures. So it starts like with that was breastfeeding, and then it starts with um, children figuring out more about themselves, and it goes to puberty, etc. Um, and he thought that people who struggled with um, guilt and shame, it was because the superego had taken over too much over the ego, and so you needed to balance it out with more of the id to get rid of shame and guilt. So he had a very interesting structure of how the human psyche works, which obviously is not mm-hmm. not what is revealed in scripture. No, I think that's really helpful. I think it's interesting. Yeah. It, it pertains to the origin of it. Right. So I don't know if it relates to it, but it sounds like it relates to the way the Enneagram was, quite honestly. Yeah. So how did the Enneagram, it seems like from what we have learned about the Enneagram, it wasn't originally... A Christian idea. No, and it so how did how did it come to evangelical? Wasn't originally a personality test, right? So how did it come to Christian circles? It came from um, a Roman Catholic named Richard Richard Rohr, who got um, a hold of it, and that's how it penetrated the Roman Catholic Church. And actually, the Vatican issued a statement saying that it's not officially. Roman Catholic doctrine, that it actually is antithetical to it. However, its damage had already been done. It was used at retreats. Um, And then evangelicals got a hold of it. And part of that was when Richard Rohr wrote the book, um, Christian and the Christian and the Enneagram, I believe is the title of the book. And evangelicals grabbed a hold of it because it had the word Christian in it. Saddleback Church highly recommends that book. And so that's how it got into evangelical circles. I believe it was in the 1970s. And I think evangelical circles, too, as it became very popular, they they don't know the origins of it either. Because I don't know, um, from some of my research I did, there is this woman named Marcia Montenegro. 
And she was really, really, really into the New Agey stuff before she became a Christian. The Enneagram is big in New Agey circles. And so I think, too, that it bled into the evangelical church through some of that New Agey stuff. Yeah. And also, the evangelical authors that have written about the Enneagram uh, for well, Christians that are kind of flying off the shelves, they also were heavily mentored by Richard Rohr and have dedicated their books about the Enneagram to Richard Rohr. So evangelicals are actually taking their cues about theology and about Enneagrams from Roman Catholics now. And the Roman Catholics have been taking it from mystics from the Middle East. So this really doesn't seem like there is anything that has anything to do with actual biblical scripture. Mm -hmm. And so if Richard Rohr was the one who brought it into evangelical circles, I think real quickly we should go over what he believed as a theologian. So Richard Rohr actually described himself as a panentheist, which is different from pantheist. So pantheists believe that God is everything, thus everything is God. Panentheism believes that God is in everything, thus everything is in God. And that is not biblical it's not biblical at all all because what roar is saying is through the enneagram man's main problem is he doesn't realize that he is already in christ he does has nothing to repent of and he has said this before where if man just understands that he is already in christ all of his problems would go away And what's really interesting is that actually sounds very similar to what one of the, I can't remember if it was Naranjo, it was the guy who did the ego fixations with the Enneagram. Akazo. It was Akazo who used the Enneagram as if you could figure out what your ego fixation was, then you could become your true self. And he believed that your true self was like pure essence. And so if you could get past this ego fixation, you would become everything you were meant to be. And that's really, I think, what the Enneagram preaches. That is the message of the Enneagram. And it has been, I think, in every, pretty much every of its variations. Yeah. And the thing with that is we know that in the Bible, it says that we live in a fallen world. And until Jesus and comes back and creates the new heaven and the new earth, we are stuck in this fallen world. And saying that once you like you know find your enneagram and do all these things then you will like finally you know like discover who you are and thus you have reasons for why you're behaving the way you're behaving yeah Mm -hmm. and that's the thing where we know the reasons why we behave the way that we behave is because we are in a fallen world and, and because we are sinful and there's no excuse for that. That is your sin nature, and you do need to repent of that. You are not in Christ. We are actually separated from him until we confess that we are sinners. Right, and the main message of the Enneagram is totally antithetical to that. So, Alyssa, if the Enneagram believes that, well, basically the entire point of the Enneagram is to, well, find out your sin tendencies and give you explanations for them, And if the person who created this Enneagram personality test is the one who um, believes that, well, we don't actually need to repent. We just need to understand that we're already in Christ. Well, what does the Bible say about it? What is the theology behind this? Yeah, that's a great, great question that I think a lot of Christians pass by, that everything comes with worldview. And it might be more skewed in some things, but it's going to be there. 
And That's actually, such a good point too. Really fast, I want to just pause on what you said that everything has a worldview associated with it. And I was reading a book, don't remember entirely what it's called, but it was by Andrew Wilson. I haven't read the whole thing, and I don't really know much about the author, but he said that. Christians have a very big tendency to designate, even without realizing it, between the secular and the sacred. And I think Alyssa's point is really good, that we have to remember that everything has a worldview to it. You can look at everything through the lens of what does the Bible say about this. Definitely. And I don't know if um, those who follow us on Instagram know what I'm talking about, but I put out a poll asking you guys what you thought of Enneagrams. And I ended up having a great conversation in the DMs with this one woman, and I'm going to not say her name for the sake of privacy. And her question is the driving force behind my two main points, which are Enneagrams do not have the authority of Scripture and Enneagrams do not have the revelation of Scripture. So her question was related to something I said about how personality tests do not have the authority of scripture behind it, and they are created by fallible men, and we should not place our hope or our identity in these. And then she came back and quoted me and then asked, what do I mean by they don't have the authority of scripture? Does that mean the Bible set, you know, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not use enneagrams or thou shalt use enneagrams. What does that mean? Do people put their hope in them? Hope in what way? I found her question to be really important to our discussion because I think a lot of people don't know what it means when we say something does not have the authority of Scripture. What do I mean by authority? I mean that Scripture is sufficient for our everyday life. And 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says that, that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So just by that verse, we have all knowledge through Christ, through his word, and his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have everything we need in the scriptures. And what do I mean by authority that comes from that? Authority has the word author in it. So when we talk about authority, we are talking about Specifically, when we talk, is scripture having authority? When we talk about authority, if you notice in the word authority, you have the word author. So when we say that scripture has authority, we are saying that scripture is authoritative because it has the same author. Meaning that although there are 40 authors over a 1,500 years period of time, over three languages, they all say the same things. Barry Cooper of Ligonier Ministries has a really important quote when it comes to this. He says, although there were many different human authors involved, the ultimate author of scripture was God himself. And the author of scripture is what gives scripture its authority. So when I say that um, Enneagrams do not have the authority of scripture, I mean that they are not God-breathed. Barry Cooper goes on to say, Peter wants us to understand in 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, that the writers of scripture, including himself, weren't simply sharing their own expert opinions or subjective experiences. When they wrote, they wrote from God. When we read one of the 66 documents, we aren't reading the prophet's own interpretation of things. Each author was carried along by God's Holy Spirit. In other words, the fallible human authors weren't allowed to fall into error as they wrote. God's own spirit would not allow it. Peter is quite matter-of-fact about this. He describes his own testimony as having been guided and enabled by, quote, 
the Holy Spirit sent from above. And when you look at Enneagrams and how they are supposed to impart this hidden meaning and supposed to help you find your true self and help you overcome things that are holding you back, it's a pseudo fake Holy Spirit because that is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us and to bring change to our lives and improvement to our character. It's not a personality test that is supposed to do that. It's the Holy Spirit. And the second point that I want to make is Enneagrams do not have the revelation of Scripture. 2 Peter 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is what makes you complete. A personality test that is written by fallible men is not what makes you complete. Scripture itself is theonoustos. It is God-breathed. And when we look at Oscar Icazo, Claudio Naranjo, these people who came up with the Enneagrams, they have direct connections with a demonic spiritual force. That's true. I think, too, we mentioned earlier, and sorry to cut in really fast, but I think we mentioned earlier that they said that they got a lot of the stuff through automatic writing. Mm -hmm. Does somebody want to explain what that is? Okay, go ahead, Alyssa. So when you look at these people like Oscar Acaso, he had ego fixations from familiar spirit contact. And when you look in Deuteronomy 18, there is a clear prohibition that God gives from connecting with familiar spirits. And those are the same words used in the Old Testament that Oscar Acaso uses here. So right away, the Christian's red flag should pop up saying, nope, I don't really want to have any part of that. Claudio Naranjo continued Ikazo's work and actually revealed the nine Enneagram types, although he didn't coin that term. And he did it through automatic writing, which is opening yourself up to spirit-led writing to where you actually might be put in a trance because you're almost hypnotized in a way by the spirit contact because it's a real thing the spirit world is real and when he was i listened to his testimony on his experience with automatic writing that is claudio naranjo's he's not lying he genuinely believes he connected with the spirit world that led him to write down the nine points that was now coined as the Enneagram types. And we will be linking all of these in the description. Yes, all of We're our sources. This up. No, all of our sources will be linked for you to check out for yourself. And I, I implore you to check it out for yourself. Or don't just believe what we say because we say it. You need or to research this. Or disqualify us because we're the people who are saying it. Right. You need to research this for yourself. God calls you to be informed and equipped and to study to show yourself approved. And if you are a Christian who is... Um, kind of taken in by the Enneagrams, that is basing your life upon your personality yeah, test. That's, that's another thing I really quickly wanted to bring up. A lot of people believe the Enneagram is deterministic. And deterministic means like it is the qualification for your life. Like, for example, with the podcast I was listening to with like biblical counseling, and I'm going to be linking that in the description. Um, it's called the Truth and Love Podcast, and they gave the example of their biblical counseling center had two different anecdotes of couples who came in, and they had used the Enneagram. So they used the Enneagram, this young couple, and they found out, oh, this is the problem. Like, uh, 
we're having this problem because you're a two and I'm a three. And I, I don't know. I don't know the, the points specifically. But they, they, they're like, oh, so that means I know how to react when you act like this. And you know how to react when I act like this. So they, they based all of their reasonings off of this Enneagram test. Another couple came in and they had been married for about 23 years. And they took this Enneagram test and decided that since they were incompatible numbers, they divorced shortly before their 24th wedding anniversary instead of even trying to work anything out. So that is one of the dangers of this Enneagram test is people believe that it, it all of a sudden becomes their identity where it's like, oh, if this test says I'm this, well, that must be the case. And as Alyssa said, well, there is, it's not God breathed that this is not the qualification for your life it should not be your identity right and it's i mean it's not even like a scientifically accurate test like it's not even something they've done research on to determine that humans have these nine different types with these different wings it's just something that came about by some very creepy origins yeah i actually regret lumping the enneagram test in the same category as a personality test because I made that poll on Instagram before I had researched it. I was going to ask what you thought about and personality tests in general. Personality tests in general, I think they can be really good tools for identifying key characteristics in yourself. However, I think they need to be taken with caution because, like Jenna said, they aren't deterministic. Right. I think that's a big danger with Definitely. just personality tests in general barring the Enneagram test is that you can take them and then realize, okay, this is how I'm supposed to be and take it as your identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a fun example of that would be someone taking, you know, like the Hogwarts test and being like, well, I am a Gryffindor. And so I have all of these characteristics. Well, same thing, not deterministic. Yeah. Right. Well, even, um, even tests that have been psychologically determined to be, um, accurate to like the human brain such as the minnesota multiphasic personality inventory but that one has been widely researched but there's always a danger in taking tests like that to where you base your entire personality off of things like that and you say well i'm like this so i can't change another thing is as christians we are supposed to be like jesus our one of our goals is supposed to become more like christ and to model what Christ has has done and if we take these tests and we're like oh my goodness this is who I am are we modeling ourselves off of a test that we took or Christ who we're supposed to model ourselves after Christ kind of takes a back seat mm-hmm. right. that's a that's a really great point and I made this point I think on the poll that you might do a basic personality test that shows you to be more of an introvert and that's part of the big five personality test very popular in the psychology world and I actually really enjoy that one so you can take let's say your social tests of introvert to extrovert and let's say you're more of an introvert you can use that excuse to say I'm not going to be involved in some church activities or some church outreach programs because I'm an introvert and my question to you is okay but what does scripture call you to Mm -hmm. scripture doesn't give an allowance if you're an introvert or extroverts you be this introverts you can do this no paul's command for you to bear one another's burdens for you to love like christ for you to serve one another 
is for all Christians. Right, and the commands don't change based on your personality type. Another thing is I think it's important to mention, too, that personality tests differ from spiritual giftings. Yes, because that was one of the questions yes. I got was what about the spiritual gifts and the apostolic gifts that are given in the, right. in the New Testament? And I, I told the girl that asked me that question, it was a private DM, that I would not lump personality tests in the same level as spiritual gifts because when you look at the spiritual gifts that are described in the new testament nowhere are personalities um given or implied it is a spiritual gifting from the holy spirit to do a service for god it's not a personal thing that you have so that's one differentiation and i was listening to an ali beth stecky podcast on personality types and she mentioned that Moses would have been considered an introvert, not leadership material, yet God called him to lead. That's a great point. So I just think that there is a danger in general with personality types where you can mix them up with spiritual giftings and you can mix them up and put more importance on them than they are because their point is not to tell you this is who you are, you can't change, and this is why you act like you do. Some of it can be really helpful, but some of it is also you can change. They don't dictate your life. Yeah, extending on what Kenna said about Moses, another thing that she said is that when God or when Jesus came to the earth, the people he chose to carry out his mission and were not the people that you would expect. He chose, as an example, um, in those days, women were not regarded highly. He chose, the first person he showed himself to when he rose from the grave was a woman, and he chose the people that society would not deem qualified for that job. Mm-hmm. That's I a mean, really great. First Corinthians one twenty seven. I have to pull it up really fast. And so that's the little clicking you hear in the background. Exactly. That's the keyboard going on. So I'm really sorry, but to ruin your listening experience. But and and the verse Ali Bestucky brought up in relation to that was First Corinthians one twenty seven. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And all of this to say, enneagrams, personality tests, anything that is not an excuse for you not to serve and glorify God in the capacity that He calls you to. Right. Yes. Right. But it can be really easy because humans like, like we like to be identified and put into groups. We like, yeah. And to be shown that we're unique and we're special. But we're also the same as others. So we we, we like those, like it's it's an oxymoron. It really is. But we like it. That we fit in, but we're different. Some of the questions, (laughs) actually a lot of the questions on the personality test was, yeah, the Enneagram. We we looked through the questions. Was like, or yeah, the Enneagram test was, I think that I'm unique. I think that I am different than other people. And well, I think questions like that were wasn't one of the questions. A lot of them. Like, how much better are you? Do you think you are than others? It was just it was questions like that that were just rephrased right. again and again in multiple ways. Right, and I think we should make a distinction between types of personality tests. I think the Enneagram is its own category because it has such a weird occultish. Yeah, that was one of the to points it. I was trying to make earlier that I do regret knowing what I know now in the research I've done. I would not in the poll have lumped Enneagrams with a normal personality test. So that is something that I publicly regret doing that I was not more 
firm in how I responded to questions and how I responded to pollings because now knowing that Enneagrams have demonic roots, literally demonic spirit roots and how they came to being and the heresy that they pronounce saying that they have a secret knowledge of your soul. If you look in church um, history, you can see that that is the heresy of Gnosticism, where you have this secret knowledge that only this one group of people or this one thing can give to you. And if you read the epistle of 1 John, you see the lengths he goes to to show that, no, Christ is the revelation. You see this in Paul's writings, that Christ has come. He is sufficient. The work is done. And anybody who claims to have gotten another revelation, even if it is someone dressed as an angel of light, is... To have no part with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the second epistle of John, those who espouse another gospel, do not invite them into your home. Do not be near to them in a social setting because doing that, you take part in their works of darkness. So... Just with that in mind, knowing what I know now about Enneagrams, like Kenna said, I would put it in its own category of an Eastern mystic demonic test. Would to you do. say that it's on the same level as zodiac signs? Um, it is astrology based. I'm not going to say, I don't think I would go as far as to say that those who take it are sinning. However, I would go as far to say that if Enneagram personality test results are taking part in how you view your life and how you interact with others and how you partake of Christian fellowship and how you relate to God, that yes, you are in sin and you do need to repent of that because scripture is sufficient, scripture is authoritative, and personality tests should be subservient to scripture, right. not above it. And that's why I'm so grateful for the grace of Christ, because it is really easy to fall into that. And I know at least all of us at some point in our lives have had something that we related to a lot or that made us feel like, oh, we've been seen and heard. And I think that's another thing that Enneagram does is the questions and some of the test results, it makes you feel like, oh, I've been seen and I've been heard. And so you fall into that because you want to continue kind of in that you are a nine or an eight or a one and it becomes your identity and it becomes your sense of belonging so it's very easy to fall into that and that's why I'm so grateful for the grace of Christ because he died for that and you are forgiven when you come to him and he is your identity and that's the other thing I think with the way they can become your identity is you get that same feeling of belonging and worth to a even like an incredibly greater degree by coming to Christ. Amen. All right, final question before we wrap this up. Would you say that answers are uh, the question of someone who's saying, I don't see how the Enneagram is uniquely problematic compared to any other personality test as in like becoming a stumbling block? Because they did bring up a good point. Anything could become a stumbling block. For example, you know, sorry for oversharing so much. It's my ADHD or... So, so is the question... Like, why? How, is it, how is it uniquely problematic over anything, anything else? Like any other excuse we could make as Christians? I would say the Enneagram is uniquely problematic simply in a stumbling block sense, simply because of this woman... Marsha Montenegro, who Cultish Podcast interviewed, 
And she was. And we'll in, link that. And we'll link that. And she was involved in astrology and new age thinking and all of those things. And when she came to Christ, she noticed that the Enneagram was penetrating the church. And she looked into it, and it was kind of a shock for her because that is what Christ had redeemed her from. And now Christians were swallowing this doctrine whole, not knowing that it had mystic, demonic roots. So I think it can be a stumbling block for those who have an occult background or who have a New Age background. Um, I know of a story of a family member who knew somebody that she didn't even want to partake in fortune cookies from Chinese restaurants because of the lifestyle that she had come out of. So now I'm not saying Chinese fortune cookies should be thrown out by Christians. However, I think the Enneagram does present a particular stumbling block for those who have the occult or new age type of mysticism and Gnosticism in their background. And it's something that antithetical to God's word in a preaching setting. And it's something that Christians need to wake up and realize. I would say another reason the Enneagram would be considered different from other personality tests in terms of stumbling block level is because of its roots. And because it really does seem like the Enneagram's message and goal is that if you can just figure out what you are, your number, who, what your fixation is, you can become who you really were supposed to be and you can become the best you. Like it, it claims to have a transformative power that only belongs to Christ. That's a perfect point and a perfect way to end this podcast. With all of that being said, thank you so much for listening. And until we meet again, let us firmly rely on the protection of divine providence. And remember, as 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. This is self-evident. <laughs>